Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. But this morning, what I want to talk about in line with service is freedom fighting faith. Freedom fighting faith. And I hope that this message will resonate with anybody that's maybe feeling a little bit stuck. Maybe you find yourselves in circumstances that you didn't necessarily choose. Or maybe you just have that sense that not everything in your life is in control. Maybe some things in your life are actually a little bit out of control. And so we're going to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 12. It's a chunky portion of Scripture, I know. But it's going to reveal to us the dynamics of a kind of faith you and I need that helps to bring us into a place of freedom. And the context of this Scripture is that Paul is writing to a church in Philippi. It's a church that he loves. It's a church that he started. But because of his preaching... Because of him sharing the gospel and testifying, he's faced persecution, he's been mistreated, and eventually the authorities have thrown him in jail. And so it's from jail, from prison, that he writes this letter to the church. And so here we go in chapter 1, verse 12. It says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I know we need to stop reading and preaching, but it's good, so I'm going to go a little bit more. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it, it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Jesus Christ will abound on account of me. Everybody said, Amen. You got there. Well done. It's important to understand that in this stage of his life, the great apostle Paul is no longer really caring what people think of him. Right? He's speaking unfiltered in this message. He's got runs on the board, right? He's experienced some things. He's been through some things. He's gained some wisdom. And so he's decided what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what you need to hear, not what it is that you think you want to hear. And what's interesting is that this book is considered by many scholars to be one of the happiest themed books in the Bible, which I think is kind of ironic, right? It's the happiest book written from someone bound in chains in prison, right? But that tells me something about Paul. It tells me that Paul has a faith, perhaps, that's not really dependent on his circumstances. 
Why do I say that? Because verse 12, it says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, about what's happened to me. But then he doesn't say anything about what's happened to him. He doesn't tell them about his ordeal, about the injustice, about the conditions he's in, about the weight of the chains around him, how the prison guards are treating him. He doesn't say any of that. And the thing is, people are worried about Paul. Why? Because right there and then, he was so integral to the spreading of the gospel. Now he's gone. Now he's in chains. But it's here that Paul says something very interesting. He says, what has happened to me, as horrible as it seems, has actually served to advance the gospel. Actually, that word actually is a tipping point in our lives. We can actually start to see through fear and through disappointment to a kind of faith that's going to set us free. Amen. Actually, is a declaration that we hope in something greater than ourselves. You see, actually, it's helped to advance the Word of God. And that word advance in Scripture isn't a word that means it's just easily happened and it's gone out. He says, what's happened to me has actually advanced. In other words, even though there's severe opposition and persecution, the Word of God is striving and pushing forward. It's advancing and taking ground. That's what he's declaring. And so what he's saying is that I could spend a whole letter telling you about my woes and the injustices that are happening and what's happened to me in prison or I could choose to tell you what God is actually doing through me what God is doing in me I can focus on what God is doing through me rather than what is constantly happening to me are you with me this morning church you see because by default we're a people that are wired to talk about what is happening to us and we tend to orientate our prayer life in such a way to respond to circumstances. God, would you get me out of this? Would you take me away from this? Would you bring this away? From, would you lift this weight? Would you bring this provision? But Paul is saying this. He's saying, you know what? It would be great for me to get out of prison. I get that. But while I'm here, I can see that God is actually using me. God is doing something in me while I'm locked up in chains. And it's an interpretation that requires faith, right? To look at your struggles and life and see, well, what is God doing? What is God doing? Sometimes, and here's the thing, church. Sometimes God will use the very situations that we want to pray away in our life to actually do a work in our lives that can't be done unless we find ourselves in certain valleys. I want to say that again because for some people you need to hear that. God can only do a work in your life sometimes when you go through valleys you don't want to go through. But you need to go through them in order for God to do what he wants to do in you and through you. And this is Paul. This is Paul. And there's a great story by the pastor Craig Rochelle who's a very well-known pastor in America. Oh, and he states this, he, he, he gives this story to the congregation that I think lines up very well with what we're talking about this morning. And I think I've shared it before, but I want to share it again because I think it's just such a great example. And it's a story about a lady, didn't have a lot of money, lived in this house all by herself, but she loved God. So she had a faith. And she would spend her days with not much, but she'd spend her days just pre uh, singing and praising God and letting him know that she loved him and was happy enough in herself. But next door to her was a neighbor who was an atheist. 
And he used to get really irritated with this woman every time he would hear the worship and hear the singing and hear all the dancing and, and see all the dancing and all that kind of stuff. And he just didn't like the relationship that she thinks she had with a God who he thought didn't exist. So one day he thought, you know what? I'm going to prove this lady wrong. I'm going to prove to her that her God does not exist. So he heads over to the shops. He goes and buys all these bags of groceries. He comes back. He puts them on her doorstep knocks on the door and then he runs away and goes and hides behind the house. And anyway, the lady comes to the door and opens the door and there she sees all these groceries, all this food. And she gets so excited and she's praising God. God, you did it, you did it, you did it, you did it. And she's singing and dancing and the neighbors around the corner just seething, going, this is so irritating. And he lets it go and he lets it go and she keeps, and eventually goes, I can't handle this anymore. And he runs out from beside the house, runs up the steps, gets in her face and he says, God didn't do this for you. I did this. I bought the groceries. There's no God. You don't have a relationship. And this woman very calmly looks at him and she says, God did it. God did it. God, I'm so grateful. And he gets there and he pulls out the receipt. He says, God didn't do it. Look, I've got the receipt to prove to you. I provided the groceries for you, not your God. And this lady very calmly looks at him in the eyes and says, Sir, God did it. He just made the devil pay for it. Amen. <laughs> Mic drop, walks away, right? thought that was a great, great story. And what am I trying to say? Stuff that's happening right now doesn't always feel great. But somebody say, actually. Actually, right? Because on the surface, things can look like they're going to take you out. On the surface, in circumstances we face, we feel like we maybe we're not going to survive this. And maybe sometimes in life we feel like we've just lost everything. But I want you to get a different perspective this morning when we're talking about faith that sometimes you have to lose everything for God to prepare to bring back into your life something that is of far more value, far more weight, far more capacity in your life. Amen. You see, Paul, Paul declares this, it looks like I'm in chains. It looks like I'm chained to these guards, but I know that these guards are actually chained to me. The chains go both ways. So I don't want you to worry about little old Paul. In fact, I want you to stop with all the petitions to get me out because there's a work that's going on in here. Can we say the same thing about our situations? Or are we too busy praying for God to continually get us out that we miss the fact that God is actually trying to come in. God actually wants to come in and meet with you. We miss the fact that in pain and in brokenness and in disillusionment and when we're going through things that are binding us and we feel like we're in prison. It's like those old movies where they're so defiant. They start running those pots and pans over the prison gates and making a noise or get me out, get me out. And we get so loud in our lives sometimes that we stop to see God whispering us through the prison cells saying, son and daughter, if you would calm yourself for a minute, I want to come in and do a work in you and a work through you. Sometimes it's at that greatest point of frustration in our lives. We've all been there where... We don't necessarily have the answers. And so we get to a point where we kind of just got to throw our hands up. We've tried everything. We've got to yield and surrender. It's in those moments God says, wonderful, now I can meet you. When you get to the end of the road in struggling, it's there God often waits for us. To take us on a journey we can't do in and of ourselves. It's in those times of desperation and struggle 
where we feel broken that God wants to lift us up in his hands and put us on the potter's wheel so that he can begin to mold us and massage us and and transform us and enlarge us why so that we develop the capacity in our lives to carry more of him but that requires a refining. It requires a testing. It requires going through things we don't always want to go through. Sometimes it requires us uh, in life understanding that things are just going to be inconvenient. Inconvenient. But there is a discipline that comes in developing a freedom fighting faith that says, God, if I can't get out of it right now, would you help me to see what you're doing in this moment, in this season in my life? Learning to become receptive to the voice of God, not just when things are going well, but when the heat is on and the pressure is in, because the still small voice of God still speaks. But in our angst and pain and frustration, sometimes it's harder to hear Him. Amen? Sometimes we've got to stop raging against the chains and say, God, what is it? That you're trying to show me what is it that you're trying to teach me paul says i've been put here for the defense of the gospel and i may have been thrown into jail unjustly unfairly undeservedly by people but this is what you've got to know about god what the enemy means for evil god will use for good when the enemy thinks he's got one up on you God in a moment can take the same situation and use it for good. Use it for good. And if there's ever a Bible verse to memorize, it's going to be verse 18 and not even all of it, just the first few words. Paul is saying, listen to me guys. What's happening to me? Yeah, not great. People are out there preaching the gospel. Some are preaching it out of sincerity of heart so that the name of Jesus would be advanced and others are doing it out of selfish gain to stir up strife and then he goes and he says this and I love it he says but what does it matter who cares big deal because the gospel is still being preached the gospel is getting out there how much stress would fall off our lives how much anxiety would leave us if we would truly learn to get into that place of God what does it matter you're still God you're still in control and if we would truly hold that verse and make a decision to stop worrying about things God tells us in His Word, He's already over. He's already looking after. He's already got in the palm of His hand. You see, the Bible tells us that God never sleeps. He chooses to take the night watch in our lives to watch over us. So my thought is, well, if God's looking after me, especially through the night watch seasons in my life, then surely I can shut my eyes and get a bit of rest and trust Him. But we often, we don't. We rage against the challenge. We rage against the unknown. We rage against the valleys we find ourselves in. Amen. In fact, Paul takes it another step. And I love, do you remember years ago we had the WWJD bracelets? What would Jesus do bracelets? Do you remember those? Back in the day. Well, I'm going to make a WDIM bracelet. What does it matter? And I'm just going to wear that. And when people start saying stupid things, I'm just going to shake that bracelet in their face, right, and say, well, what does it matter, right? What does it matter? In fact, Paul takes it a step further. He says, not only am I not a prisoner to how I'm feeling, but I'm not a prisoner to the expectations that I have. I'm not a prisoner to my expectations. What does he mean by that? Some of us cannot receive 
what God wants to do because we're too married to an expectation of how we think God should behave, how God should react in our lives. And when He doesn't act that way, we get our knickers in a knot. And we get confused and we get disillusioned and we go, well, God, that's not how I thought you were going to do it. That's not what you were supposed to do. You were supposed to do it this way. But what does the word tell us? My ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. You can't fathom them. So what's left to do is simply to trust him. Some of us can't receive into our lives what God is wanting to pour out because we're too married to an expectation of how God should behave, how God should respond to our situations, how God should talk into our lives, how God should move. We expect God to do certain miracles at certain times and when he doesn't do them, oh, faith crisis. God, I don't know you anymore. You were supposed to do this, but you haven't done that. But hang on, he's God. Maybe he's never intended to. Maybe there's another purpose. You find yourselves in the valleys of life. I'm not a prisoner to my expectations because I'm committed to God's purpose for my life. And whatever he decides, i got to be okay with that. Come on church, it's going to get a little bit harder to push in this morning. But I want to preach a truth to you this morning that I'm okay with what it is that God purposes in my life because he's God. And the word says that he knows the plans he has for us. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. To give us a future and a hope. Do you believe that? And if you believe that, there has to come a point of surrender in your life. Whether you're on top of the mountain or in the valley. Say, God, I trust you and I trust your purpose. And I trust your will for my life because you want good things for me. That's what your word declares. That's what truth is. That's what your promises say. Amen. I'm not only a prisoner to how I feel, I'm not a prisoner to my, you are not a prisoner church. Regardless of how you've come in this morning, whatever it is that you wrestle with, you're not a prisoner. You are a weapon formed in the hands of God, aimed at darkness to do good works, to see the name of Jesus preached and proclaimed and glorified. Amen. You're not a prisoner. Paul's whole interpretation of his situation it's crazy. It's guys, on the outside, this is rough. I'm locked in chains. I'm probably being bashed, beaten. I'm left, you know, in the, in the cell. But what does it matter? Because I can see the gospel is being preached. The gospel is being preached. And I love that. And I want you to hear me this morning. Whatever you put next after that phrase, the important thing is. So Paul says, what does it matter? The important thing is the gospel's being preached. And I find in life, whatever we seem to put after the important thing is the thing that our life pivots on, right? So if that important thing's money, well, hey, when money's up, joy's up. When money's down, joy's down, right? The important thing is people still like me. And so when people don't like you, oh, my world's falling apart. I'm having a faith crisis. Nothing's going on. What is that important thing in your life? Is there something in your life that holds the power to determine your joy, to determine the peace you have, to determine the future you hold? What is that thing in your life? Because church, we've got to lay it down. We've got to lay down whatever that thing is. Paul says, even though I find myself held captive, God, you're working all things out for my good. So if my situation is not going to change right now, 
And here's the thing. Sometimes we get so disillusioned because we're praying into situations that God will shift them. And days later, weeks later, months later, a year later, nothing's changed. And so we get disillusioned. But maybe we've got to align to a faith Paul had and said, God, if my situation is not going to change, would you change me? If you're not bringing me out of the valley just yet, what is it that you're trying to teach me in the valley? Because what is God's purpose of your life? That you would be conformed and transformed into what? The image of His Son, Jesus. And sometimes it takes valleys to get that confirmation and transformation process active in our lives. So God, if you're not going to loose these chains, God, if you're not going to remove them, then use them. The season of my life that I'm in right now, however uncomfortable it may be, God, would you do a work in me and through me that your name is glorified? God, that your name is glorified, that people would see, even in the midst of a struggle, Christ. People would see, even though I'm going through hell, I still hold a light on the inside of me, and his name is Jesus. That I may not be able to do anything else, but I can still hang on to God with everything that I have. I don't have the answers. I don't have the solution. Maybe I haven't prayed enough. Maybe I haven't read your word enough, God. But when I find myself in the valley, I will declare as Paul did, what does it matter? You're still God. And if my God is for me, who can be against me? Amen. Who can be against me? And Paul is saying all that he's saying, and then he shifts a little bit. He shifts. You see, Paul is writing to a people that he loves. And it's a letter that's now circulating around the church in Philippi. And the tone of Paul's letter is that he's already out. Right? He's not physically out. But in his mind and his heart and his spirit, he's like, guys, physically I'm not out of prison, but I'm already free. The situation hasn't changed, but my spirit is free. Oh, my feet are still in chains. But my mind is free. And so he makes this shift. And he shifts from interpretation, which is the first dynamic of our faith, how we interpret what's going on in our lives. right? And he shifts to a second dynamic, which is anticipation. Paul doesn't know what's going to happen for sure. But he begins to express himself in a way that he anticipates and he expects God's going to come through for him. He goes, I don't actually have the answers, guys. I could die, I could live, I could be set free, I could stay here forever. But my expectation is not set on my outcome. My expectation is set on God's outcome for my life. And I know this, that my God is a good God. That He finishes the good work He started in your life. That every word of peace He's spoken will not return to Him void, but it will complete itself because He's spoken. So if I know that, I can expect that God's going to come through. I don't know what it looks like, but he's going to come through. Amen. He says, I'm expectant. I don't know for sure what's going to happen. And in Philippians 1, 18 to 28, I'm going to, I'm going to read this passage for you. And I want you to see how many times Paul uses the word will. Will is a word that we attach to expectation. When I go home, I will see my wife and kids. I expect it. I anticipate when I walk through the door, that's what it's going to When I go to work tomorrow, I will have to have that meeting, right? So will denotes expectation so Philippians 1 18 it says yes and I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance 
I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If, I'm, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and join the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Eight verses, nine times, Paul says the word will. So we've got to understand that Paul doesn't have a kind of faith that's dependent on his outcome. What he's saying here is, I know my God. I know Jesus. I have encountered him. I know him innerly. The word is on the inside of me. And because of that, I reshift and align my expectation of outcome to what God says about my life, not what I see is happening in my life. Do you hear me this morning, church? And some of us, we have faith, but it's held hostage to our progress. So if we are losing progress in our prayer life, oh, why bother? We're losing progress in the Word. Oh, we go to the gym. We don't feel we're making progress. Meh, I'm out. Not doing this. We pick up a new skill or instrument, and after two weeks, it sucks. We're not making any, any, any progress. Oh, just give up. So often, our faith is linked just the same way to our progress. But Paul says, no, no, no. Freedom-fighting faith requires us to put our faith in something else, in God, and begin to align ourselves with His expectations. Amen. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know this. My God will come through. My God will come through. Sometimes it's too easy to walk by sight. And the great wisdom provider Solomon says this in Proverbs 3, 5. He says, lean not on your own understanding. Who's ever played the trust fall game with someone? Trust fall? I'm telling you, if you play that with your understanding, it will drop you every time. Every time it won't be there. Why? Because it's based on what you see. It says lean not on your own understanding because your own understanding, especially when you're in the valleys, will lead you astray. The enemy will use and hijack your own understanding to stop the work God is trying to do in and through you. So if we can't rely on our own understanding, what do we have to do? Good question. Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in Him. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. In all your ways, when life is good and money's flowing and everyone loves you, acknowledge Him. When there's no money and nobody likes you and nothing's flowing, acknowledge Him. And what does it say? He will direct your path. He will lead you through whatever it is you find yourself in. And this is what Paul is saying. I can't trust on my own understanding because I'm in a dark cell in chains. And I thought Jesus called me to spread the gospel, but it's not happening right now in here. No, no, no. I'm going to lean on God. I'm going to trust in Him. And so my expectation is that I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know why, but God will lead me through this. God will be glorified. God's word will be spread. God will still use me. I don't know how, but God will. Amen. Amen. Come on. So Paul is sitting, sitting in jail and he has the sense God is just going to do it. Just going to do it. And the thing is, he doesn't necessarily expect God's going to get him out. 
And people are thinking, well, that's what we want, Paul. We want you out of jail. We want you out of your captivity. Paul goes, that's great. But I don't know if we've got to become comfortable church as people of faith with not necessarily knowing the end result. Not and it's a killer, not necessarily knowing the outcome. God, I've struggled with this disease all my life. I want to be healed, but I don't know. But I do know you. I do know you're still good. And even if you don't, I will worship you all the days of my life because you've saved me and you've set me free by grace it has been given to me. God, get me out of this prison take away this bondage but for whatever reason if I'm still here in two weeks three weeks six months time you're still good you're still the same God that answers prayer the same God that delivers the same God that's full of grace and because you've saved my life by grace you still get my praise I will still worship you when I can see and when I can't amen amen and so Paul's sitting in jail and he's declaring to his followers, to the church, you know what? I know what you see, but understand God's still faithful. God is still faithful to me. He's going to come through. And so I eagerly expect it and I hope it. And then Paul does something that only the great apostle Paul can do. And he makes up a word in the Greek it's apocaradokia. Try to spell that. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocia. Apocaradokia, right? It's a word that we find. And in English, it takes a few words to get it across. But he says, I eagerly expect and I hope. That's what's going on inside of Paul. Paul, how are you feeling? This is rough. What? You don't have any answers. I don't. But I'm eagerly hoping and I'm eagerly expecting. Apocaradokia. So what does that word mean? The prefix apo, everybody say apo, apo. It means to turn away. Sometimes we've got to turn away from things we've been looking at for far too long that are not good for us. We've got to turn away and stop looking at things that are destroying your faith. Kara simply means head, that's it, kara. And then dokia is to stretch forward so I'm turning my head away I'm ignoring other interests that are not good for me other things that I could focus on that are not going to build up my faith I'm turning away from that Paul's saying I'm turning my head away from the obvious a cold cell floor heavy chains guards that don't like me I mean I'm turning my head away from that and I'm stretching forward to look at something else what am I looking at? I'm looking at Christ. I'm looking at who He is. I'm looking at what He's done for me. I'm choosing to look forward with expectancy to what God is able to do. To remind myself of who God is and what He's promised in my world. That is what I'm choosing to look at. I'm turning away. See, one of the biggest traps the enemy uses to stop us stepping into a freedom-fighting kind of faith is to keep us looking back at our past, looking back at things that maybe didn't go so well, looking back at those times where our faith has failed us, looking back at those times where we feel like we've dropped the ball, we've disappointed God, we've fallen short. And some people have their heads so far up their past that they've just disappeared. 
They're never going to be able to move forward. But Paul says this, and I love this. He says, I don't know much. But one thing I know is that I don't look back. I look Because if I look back, I've got some runs on the board that disqualify me straight away. I've killed some believers. I've thrown them in jail. I was the highest of highest of Pharisees, so full of pride, yet I destroyed so many innocent people. If I look back, I knew I would never qualify for the call of my life. He says, so one thing I do, brethren, is I look forward. I keep my eyes fixed on Christ and I strive towards the goal and the prize of the upward call that is Jesus in my life. And right in the middle of his chains and his bondage, when he has every right to not understand and be confused as to what God's doing. One minute I'm spreading the gospel and the next minute I'm locked up in chains. He says, I don't choose to look at that. I've learned in my life through seasons and disappointments and heartache that I've got to keep moving forward. I've got to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. I've got to keep holding on to Him because if I hold on to Him, I don't know how, I don't know when, but He will get me through. He will get me through. He'll look after my children. He'll bring them home. He'll look after my marriage. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I'm okay if I simply stay close to Him. Amen. He's trying to get this point across to this church. Learn from me as an example. I could choose to keep reminding myself of how heavy the chains in my life are, or I could choose to look at something else. I choose something else. I choose Christ. I choose Jesus. Amen. I want to hear me this morning, church. Your prison walls do not define you. Chains do not define you. The seasons of life you find yourself in do not define who you are. They are not you. They are a time, if nothing is shifting, for you to press into God and say, God, what is it that you're doing in my life? What is it that you have to say to me? And no matter how much the noise is raging, I will calm myself enough to hear the still small voice of God. What is it that you're doing in me? What is it that you're doing through me? God, if you can use my life in these seasons of struggle to touch the life of someone else, God, would you do it? I wonder if we can say that, church. God, I don't understand. I can't figure it out. I'm so confused. It's not what I expected. Get your bracelet. What does it matter? What does it matter? If it takes these chains to change me into the image of Christ, God, use those chains. If it takes these chains to bring God-ordained change into another's life, God, use these chains. I'm ready. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. For more life-changing messages, visit us online at c3noosa.org. If you've been blessed by this message, please consider partnering with us financially to see the work of God continue flourishing in and through C3 Church Noosa. God bless.